Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. <clears throat> and so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as had been foretold, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll do it by myself, because, no, you know, let's, well, let's see if we can catch on here this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Um, so our text this morning begins with these, these words, and there were shepherds. And we don't know their names, but we know their occupation. Uh, and interestingly, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about shepherds. And when you look at shepherds through kind of a scriptural and religious lens, you'll find that they play quite a significant role in the scripture. Um, Abraham was a shepherd. Moses, who was the great deliverer of Israel was also a shepherd. In fact, we read this at the beginning of Exodus 3. It said, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And so here we actually see Moses actively shepherding at this profound moment when God appears to him in this burning bush. He's, he's engaged in shepherding at that very moment. Um, as If you look within Scripture, but also outside of Scripture, in, into the near, ancient Near Eastern culture, one of the things that you'll find, um, both as you look at liter literature and artifacts, is this idea of a shepherd king. Can we go to the next, uh, the next slide? So with the shepherd king, um, there's a picture of an Egyptian pharaoh. Do you ha have that picture? And um, one of the things, if you look at him, you recognize immediately that it is kind of this, this pharaoh. Um, and one of the things that you see is that he, he's dressed, and you can see this actually with a lot of the different pharaohs, is dressed, has the head garb and everything, but is also holding like the shepherding cane, the shepherding stick. And you begin to notice um, this kind of mixed imagery that was happening in the ancient Near East. There we go. Can you see that? Now you can see both the kind of the shepherding staff there, but you can also see that even though the headdress is, is like royal, it's also very shepherdy too, right? And so you have this kind of mixed imagery that began to happen um, at this time in history where the shepherd became a metaphor for like the leader or, or the king. 
And we see this most clearly in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 34. And uh, in, in Ezekiel 34, the prophet Ezekiel is absolutely berating the leadership in Israel for not shepherding the people well. And this is not about actual, you know, shepherds out in the field. This is about the leaders, the kings of Israel. And in fact, um, the lovely chapter starts this way. The, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourself. Should you not shepherd and take care of the flock? And so there's this obvious metaphor happening here in Ezekiel, where the shepherds were the leaders of Israel, where the sheep were the Israelites themselves. And this picture of shepherd king comes together most clearly for us with King David. King David was a shepherd boy who would go on to become um, the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And so you have this kind of this, this mixture of the shepherds who were leaders, hopefully not always, in fact, usually not, um, humble leaders for the people who would lead and shepherd them well. So this is kind of like the religious understanding or the theological or scriptural understanding as we look back at shepherds. Um, but as sometimes happens, somewhere along the line, um, things shifted. And while the shepherds and shepherding remained kind of this um, religious metaphor that people praised, actual shepherds ended up being viewed as dirty and lowly people who were to be held at arm's length. So there's a scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey, and, and Bailey says this about shepherds. He said, the figure of shepherd was a noble symbol. By contrast, flesh and blood shepherds who were in the first century wandered around after sheep and were clearly amhaares and unclean. We'll get to that term in a minute. For the Pharisee, a sinner was either an immoral person who did not keep the law or a person engaged in one of the prescribed trades, among which was herding sheep. So you had like a sinner and, and, and a shepherd. Now, he uses this term, amhaares, uh, and because neither you or I know what that means, uh, I looked it up, and essentially it means uh, people of the land would be the translation. Now, what's interesting about that is, like the word shepherd, Amhaares once held um, a positive connotation. It, it was like a good thing to be called that. But like a shepherd, over history, particularly after the return from the exile, this ended up being a term of contempt that was used um, for people who were considered common people. And the common people would be people who didn't know anything about the law. And when we're saying the law here, we don't mean like the laws of the land. They didn't know anything about the religious laws. And so what happened is because they thought of them as like these ignorant people who didn't know anything about the laws, then they would break the law sometimes, even if unintentionally. I, I actually listened to one rabbi, and he referred to these Amhaares as ignoramuses. He said, they're, you know, they're just like ignorant, like they, they, they know nothing. And so these were the kind of people who were... Um, held at arm's length. So shepherds spent their days among sheep, which means that they also spent their, their days around sheep um, dung. 
it's really hard because sheep starts with S-H. I, like, I'm just, I'm just going to say that. I, I'm very nervous about slipping up here this morning. Um, so they were surrounded by filth, which made them perpetually unclean. So the shepherds weren't the kind of people who were out um, hanging in the temple. The shepherds were poor. Uh, the shepherds were apparently night shift workers since they were keeping watch over their flock at night. So I imagine that they were tired as well. So it's Advent and um, Advent is my favorite season in, in the church year. When it comes to the church calendar, when we, I, every time when we come to Advent, I'm just, you know, I'm thrilled. Um, and I, as I look at myself this year, I wonder about me and I wonder about you. How are, are we experiencing Advent this year? How are we experiencing it? Um, most years I spend a lot of time in quiet reflection during Advent. Um, I'm a bit of a nerd, and so I will buy specific books for the season of Advent, which I will save, and I will read them with religious devotion, oftentimes before anyone else gets up and, you know, do that in the morning. Um, I love coming to church during Advent. I love singing carols during Advent. I love hearing sermons during Advent. I love to preach during Advent. This is my favorite time of year to preach. And I love lighting the candles and at home doing... Um, kind of a little Advent liturgy with the kids who are very not appreciative of this. Uh, I am curious if anybody knows like where and how much, like where to buy a lump of coal. But um, I love doing this, you know, with the kids. And, and, and I guess that I love this idea that Jesus came and that he's coming still. And to reflect on that. And I guess I believe that if we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord, um, you know, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in and all that kind of stuff. But I wonder if you've ever come to this season feeling dirty. I wonder if you've ever come to Advent feeling sinful and wondering, like, how did I end up like this? You ever come to Advent, come to church and look around and look at everybody and say, man, they look all like religious and pristine. And I've spent my night, feel like I've spent my night wandering through sheep dung. And I don't really want to get too close to anybody because I don't want them to see how dirty I am. Or maybe uh, you come to Advent and you feel poor. Or maybe you are poor. Maybe you're unemployed. And sometimes it's hard to light a candle and go through the liturgy when you're trying to figure out how to uh, get your kid a Christmas gift and still keep the lights on. Or maybe you come to Advent and you're tired. Maybe you're tired because like the shepherds, you've been working all night. Or maybe you're tired because your newborn baby has kept you up all night. Or maybe it's not... Uh, your newborn baby, but it's your older child, and you're waiting up for them to come home at night, and you're worried about them. Or maybe you've been crying all night, or maybe all week or month, and you're absolutely exhausted from grief. And I guess what I would say this morning is if you relate to any of that, 
then this story has something to say to you because in our text at least, it wasn't the religious insiders who were dressed in their Sunday best to whom the angels appeared. But it was to these shepherds, tired and working the night shift, these shepherds were met by the surprise of God. And an angel came and startled the shepherds. Which is normal because if you or I were working outdoors in the pitch black in the middle of the night and suddenly a stranger appeared, I think that we would be pretty startled too. But this is actually the way that it is in, in Advent and what the whole season is about that our kind of neatly defined categories and our neatly defined ways uh, of being tend to get messed up because of the coming of Jesus. And we like our categories most of the time. We like to know how things run in our society and in our lives or in our family or all, all of these kinds of things. We like categories until the categories don't work in our, our favor. Like when you're a shepherd instead of a religious leader. And at that point, the shaking up of these categories actually becomes good news for us, doesn't it? Jess talked uh, just a few weeks ago about Mary's song. And, and here, Mary, Mary is this young revolutionary. I mean, you could look at her. Uh, uh, many people will point out that her name means Miriam. And, and you know, I posted, um, uh, occasionally I post controversial things on Facebook. Uh, some of you are like, we know, we read the comments this week. But, um, you know, here, here she is, you know, down, kind of down with the rich, and, and, and we're going to send the rich away, but the poor, the poor are going to come and get full. And for us, this is, this is really troubling, unless you're poor, in which case it's gospel. Every valley shall be exalted. And this is a startling good news of Advent, that shepherds like me get to experience the grace and the favor of God. But let's actually look and pay very close attention to how this happens in the text for a moment. So an angel comes and says to these shepherds in the middle of the night, Do not be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And after this happens, suddenly an angel army appears in the sky and sings or says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now we have a lot of Christmas carols about this song. Angels we have heard on high and it's four verses we sing every year. Hark the herald angels sing and it's five verses we sing. The first Noel, where the angels did say to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay. But here's the thing. The actual encounter with the angels was shorter than any one of these carols is. So I timed myself last night. This is awkward because I was in a cafe. But I timed myself at a moderate pace. saying both with the solitary angel when the solitary angel came and spoke to the shepherds and with the angel choir, whoever they were, coming. And it took less than 23 seconds at a moderate pace. I was not rushing through. 
So maybe the actual encounter was a bit longer. I, I don't know. But maybe not. But either way, the truth is that this is often how the revelation of God comes to us. Very rarely does God pull us aside and sit us in a little side room and speak to us for a half an hour. This is not how God usually speaks. No, the revelation of God comes to us like lightning in the dark, just like it came to these shepherds at night. There's a very uh, influential um, historic Jewish scholar by the name of Maimonides. And Maimonides once said this about faith, and it, it stuck with me. He said, do not imagine that these great mysteries are completely and thoroughly known to any of us. By no means. Sometimes the truth flashes up before us with daylight brightness, just like the lightning, right? Just flashes up, and just for a brief moment, the whole world is lit up, and you see things how they really are in the middle of the dark. But he says, but soon it is obscured by the limitations of our material nature and social habits, and we fall back into a darkness almost as black as that in which we were before. We are thus like a person whose surroundings are from time to time lit up by lightning, while in the intervals he is plunged into pitch dark night. This is the revelation of God. Look at the text. Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth. Peace on those to whom his favor rests. And then immediately, and when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So here's the good news this morning. If you come here today and you feel dirty or broken or tired, you are exactly the kind of person to whom God will reveal God's self. This is not about God meeting us halfway. I hate when people say that. God will meet you halfway. That is absolute nonsense. God always moves first. Always. And God surprises us in the middle of the night before we've even taken a step towards God. God will show up and the lightning will flash and we will see the glory of God. Your faith does not move God to come to you. God's love moves God to come to you. But while faith does not bring God to you, I do still believe that faith plays a part. How? So I worked for a guy. My, my first job was as a pastor at a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I worked with a guy uh, named Wayne Benson. And Wayne was a revered and somewhat feared figure on staff. And uh, I got there, and there were all these, he had all these little axioms that he would say. And he was kind of known for these different things. Uh, one of the things he was known for was something called the blue chair experience. He left not long after I, I got there, so I didn't get, thankfully, to experience this. But apparently the blue chair experience, he had blue chairs on the opposite side of his desk. And when you were in trouble, you would be called into his office to sit in the blue chairs. And this was the blue chair experience. But um, he also, he had these, he had these different sayings um, that the staff would repeat to others and would repeat to one another. And one of them that, um, that I recall is something which got repeated a lot. And he said this, don't doubt in the darkness what God has spoken to you in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has spoken to you in the light. Maybe this wasn't original with him, but that's, that's how I know it. And these words have come back to me several times through the years. You know, God does speak to us. God does speak to us. 
It's normally brief and, and like a flash of lightning. But God does speak. I think the question for us this morning, and, and the question that faith asks is this, can we hold on to what was revealed to us by God when the choir disappears and it's just us standing in the dark with a whole bunch of sheep needing our attention? God speaks and our whole world changes for a few minutes. And then we realize that it's dark and we're standing in sheep dung again. And the dung hits the fan in like a thousand different ways. And this is where the question of faith comes in. Faith doesn't make the lightning flash. Faith doesn't cause the light to come, but faith asks the question, when it's dark, can you hold on to what God has given you in the light? This is the question of faith. And with that in mind, maybe what happens next is actually more astounding than the angels appearing in the heavens. And it's this, the shepherds in the middle of the night obeyed. It's nighttime, and in the nighttime really is the hardest part to carry out the word that the Lord has spoken to us. But the shepherds show us that it is, it is possible. Now, some people like to act as if emotion doesn't have anything to do with faith. I, and I, I disagree with this. Uh, oftentimes, when, when God reveals God's self to me, it comes with the shedding of many tears. I often experience the presence of God, uh, and emotion at the same time. F emotion and faith are not enemies. But I guess what I would say is, is just that emotions can fade over time. And so our faith must be greater than our emotions. Eugene Peterson, he once said this. He said, we live in what writer, one writer has called the age of sensation. And we feel that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Come on, somebody. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Now, I don't imagine that this journey for the shepherds was nearly as easy as we like to think about it. I think that this was a complicated journey for the shepherds. I mean, did they have to take their sheep along? Like, think about that, right? And do you think that maybe as they're going along the way, they might have had some, some doubts where their minds were telling them, you probably don't quite, you probably are not remembering too well what the angel really said to you. You're probably, you know, it's been a little time now. You're probably, you know, reading a little bit too much into it, right? Because none of us have ever done this when God has spoken to us. Maybe the angel didn't quite say it that way. Maybe you're remembering wrong. Regardless, they went. And they worshipped. And I think that this is the call for us today is simply to hold, to understand we don't make, we're not making something happen in faith. If you are here today and you just feel distant from God, well, praise God, you're in the right place and the Lord 
loves to reveal himself in surprising ways to people just like you, because he does to me. So they went. And what did they find when they arrived? They obeyed, and they go. And what did they find? Well, it's interesting what the angel said, wasn't it? The angel said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. The town of David. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? The town of David is uh, Jerusalem. And it's been called the town or the city of David. And David was, of course, the greatest king that the people had ever known. And so the whole thing had a, a bit of a royal ring to it when the angel showed up and began to talk to them. You know, you have the town of David, the Messiah, the Lord. Well, almost the whole thing had a royal ring to it. But then we're told this, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And here we find something astonishing. And it's the same thing that the shepherds found. And it's the descent of God. God in a feeding trough wrapped in rags. God, not as we often portray God in many of our religious circles, pristine and untouched by the world, but rather God who became like us in order to heal us. And while the town of David has a royal ring to it, it's also a reminder that David was a shepherd too. And do you know what God's critique was of the so-called shepherds of Israel? God was utterly frustrated with the shepherds of Israel because they kept trying to ascend and to get away from the sheep and to have power over the sheep instead of descending to be with the sheep. So back to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, he prophesies these, these harsh words, and, and this is a thus saith the Lord type of word. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds and you clothe yourselves with wool and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost, but you have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And my sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. And they were scattered all over the earth. And no one searched or looked for them. But then you get to another part of the text and it says this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and will look after them. As shepherds look after their scattered flocks when they are with them, so I will look after my lost sheep. I will rescue them from all of the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness, and I will tend to them in a good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountain of Israel. And God says, I myself will tend my sheep. And have them lie down, declares the Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. And what we find is that in Jesus, the role of shepherd king has returned. What the shepherds find 
when they go to meet God, is not somebody who's going to berate them for their lack of religion and lack of religious understanding or for being unclean. No, what they find is the kind of king who does not distance himself from the sheep, but rather who seeks out the tired, the lame, the broken, the amhaares of the world. In Jesus, the shepherds find someone who becomes like them in order to rescue them. Later in Luke, Jesus is criticized by religious people, surprise, surprise, for welcoming and eating sinners, with sinners, not eating sinners, eating with sinners. That would have been good cause for <laughs> complaint. That happened. For welcoming and eating with sinners. And look, what does Jesus say to them? He says this, well, suppose one of you, again, he's talking to religious people here. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The answer to this, by the way, is no, no shepherd does this. But Jesus is a different kind of shepherd. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous person who do not need to repent. And in case we're not yet clear on what the text is actually saying about Jesus, you could turn to John 10, where Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for my sheep. And this is what this season is all about. It is not our ascent to God. But it is God's descent to us in order to rescue us. He becomes the shepherd in order to heal the shepherd. Friends, we do not come to Jesus in our own strength. But we come to Jesus as tired and broken and dirty shepherds. And what do we find? We find that God, our shepherd king, has become like us in order to heal us. As Brendan Manning used to say, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be, for none of us are as we should be. God loves you as you are. Hear me today. God loves you as you are, not as you should be, for none of us are as we should be. So this morning, come, all of you poor and tired and broken sinners like me, come to Bethlehem and see Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Not a king like the kings of this world, but a king who descends to be like us in order to rescue and heal us. Jesus, our great shepherd king. O come, let us adore him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church. Or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.